The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. At the start of 2018, the Wall Street Journal broke the story about the alleged hush money payments to Stormy Daniels, coordinated by Michael Cohen, to buy her silence over an alleged sexual encounter with Donald Trump. The Manhattan district attorney at the time, time, a man named Cy Vance, opened an investigation after the journal broke that news. Cohen, Trump's former fixer, who had just pleaded guilty in federal court to campaign finance violations, then went before Congress at the beginning of 2019, and he threw the gates wide open. Cohen not only revealed new details about Trump's direct involvement in that hush money scheme, but he also dropped this bombshell. Mr. Trump is a cheat. As previously stated, I am giving to the committee today three years of Mr. Trump's personal financial statements from 2011, 2012, and 2013. It was my experience that Mr. Trump inflated his total assets when it served his purposes, such as trying to be listed amongst the wealthiest people in Forbes and deflated his assets to reduce his real estate taxes. That stopped the press's testimony. It not only caught the attention of the Manhattan DA, Cy Vance, it also caught the attention of the brand new attorney general for the state of New York, Letitia James. Just a few weeks after Mr. Cohen's testimony, reports broke that A.G. James had opened a civil investigation into Cohen's claims that Trump and the Trump Organization fraudulently inflated and deflated its assets to obtain favorable loans and reduce its tax burden, respectively. So it wasn't just the hush money payments anymore. The scope of the inquiry had widened. And for his part, the Manhattan DA, Cy Vance, he broadened out his criminal investigation beyond those hush money payments as well. He was now going to include those same allegations of fraud. While Michael Cohen went to federal prison for the hush money payments, Cy Vance made the Trump Organization's broader insurance and bank fraud the central focus of his investigation. And according to reports, Vance had concluded that there was enough evidence to obtain an indictment and conviction on Trump's fraudulent business practices. But on January 1st, 2022, a new district attorney took office, a man named Alvin Bragg. And Mr. Bragg decided to refocus his office's efforts on the Stormy Daniels hush money payments. The investigation into Trump's alleged fraudulent business practices was reportedly pushed to the side. Meanwhile, the New York Attorney General's sprawling three-year-long investigation culminated in her office filing a sweeping $250 million civil lawsuit from New York State against Donald Trump and his three adult children and his business. That lawsuit, which accuses Trump, his family, and his business of staggering fraud, that was filed this past September, and it's slated to go to trial later this year. And that is how we got here today, where Donald Trump finds himself in the middle of two massive investigations from prosecutors in his home state, which were both set in motion at the same time. These two big cases are now on the front burner, and they both had the same beginnings, and they are both now coming to a head. 
This morning in lower Manhattan, Donald Trump's attorneys were in court seeking to delay the start of the $250 million civil lawsuit brought by A.G. James. Trump employed his standard tactic when it comes to legal battles he can't make disappear, and that is delay, delay, delay. But before the hearing in that case could get underway, it was delayed. Indeed, after a reported bomb threat was called into the courthouse. After the security threat was clear, the hearing went on as planned. Not quite the delay, perhaps, that Mr. Trump was looking for. Things did not go as planned for the former president. The judge in that case said, quote, this case is complex, but it is not complicated. And he concluded that his proposed October 2nd trial date is, quote, written in stone, which is pretty final and was definitely a blow to Trump's legal team today. Meanwhile, on Mr. Bragg's hush money case, the whole country remains on what is now being termed indictment watch. The grand jury is slated to meet tomorrow in Manhattan, and we have reports that an indictment could potentially come as early as tomorrow, as in the day after this one. And that reportedly the grand jury is set to hear tomorrow from and and that the reportedly the grand jury is set tomorrow to hear from at least one more witness. Now, that reporting is not confirmed by NBC News, but NBC New York reports that the NYPD sent a memo today mandating that all police officers wear uniforms and prepare for deployment ahead of a possible Trump indictment. This comes as reports have been trickling in the past few days of law enforcement at every level reportedly preparing for that indictment. The Manhattan grand jury is slated to meet tomorrow. And Donald Trump's legal headaches are, it seems, coming front and center from every possible angle. Joining us now are Suzanne Craig, investigative reporter for The New York Times and one of the lead reporters on The Times Pulitzer Prize-winning investigation into Trump's finances. Also with us is Rebecca Royfe, a former assistant DA in the Manhattan District Attorney's Office. Thank you both for being here. There are really not two better people to um, break this all down with. So thank you for coming to the set. Um, Let me just, Suzanne Craig, when you trace back the sort of humble origins of all of this, right? Yeah. This 2018 Wall Street Journal story that talks about hush money payments to a porn star and the way in which that moment sets in motion these kind of cataclysmically large investigations right. into Trump to where we find ourselves now on the eve of what may be a, a really... Um, explosive moment for Donald right. Trump and the Trump organization. Did you, I mean, you know, you know this, this man and his organization quite well from your reporting. Did you expect that that would be the straw, as it were, that broke the camel's back I back think in you, the day? I think you never expect what it's going to be. I think you never really expect what's going to be the fault in these things, and they come up on you. So I, I didn't think all of this was going to come from that. But I'm not surprised, and I actually think the 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 uh, the valuation mm-hmm. case is a. I, I think it's a much more threatening case legally for him. I mean, he's got the civil case coming for it's going to trial in you know in the fall in October, and it's not it's not a dead case with the Manhattan DA. They could still move forward. When with it. when you say it's not a dead case, and I'd love both of your thoughts yeah. on this. Are, it is, is it your expectation? I mean, it's hard to watch. I'm sure it's hard for Cy Vance to watch the AG, Letitia James, move forward with this massive civil case that in many ways has its sort of its birthplace is, you know, right. alongside the Cy Vance investigation right. that in, hasn't come to fruition. Doesn't mean it's over. No. But instead, a piece of it is moving forward, which is the hush money payments. Right. You think it's maybe still alive, the you know, investigation? I, think it, I don't sense they've hit the eject button on it. I think right now what they're doing, there's there's yet another piece of this, which is 
Ellen Weiselberg is sitting at Rikers. He yes. is due out April 19th. He is doing time for crimes that had to do with the case that was they've got a guilty verdict with, and he cooperated. But he has separately been notified by um, the, that he's facing potential charges to do with something that came out of the Attorney General's office, and that's that he made misrepresentations to Zurich, to a financial institution. And that story broke the same week that we heard about the fact that there was a grand jury impaneled into the hush money case and not a lot of people heard about it. So he is facing potential charges, very serious. It's going to be theft over a million dollars. That's not five months at Rikers. That is very serious time. And the question, I think, right now, and I'm sort of waiting, we don't know yet, but will he ultimately cooperate? Well, you that's know, the he, huge... Is but he's cooperated so far, but you kind of wonder how far that goes once he's facing real prison time. And if he does decide, I'm going to cooperate rather than, you know, if, if these charges become real that they're threatening him with and they've notified him about, he could cooperate in that case and it could revive it. And right now, I think or I think the Manhattan DA, Alvin Bragg's got a lot on his plate, but I think, <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of the work that has been done, though, on the valuations mm-hmm. that's sitting there, I know they've lost some key, they lost some key lawyers over a fight about this, but they could revive it. But I think right now, a lot hinges on, you know, where Alan Weiselberg may, may go. If you talk about, I, I wonder if you think it's an overstatement to say the reason the Alvin Bragg case is as circumscribed as it is, is because they couldn't get Alan Weisselberg to flip. For people who don't remember who Alan Weisselberg is, he's the CFO, the chief financial officer of the Trump organization, a key player in all of this. And at every juncture in these investigations, it comes up on this show frequently. There's the question, will it flip Weisselberg? Is this enough to flip Weisselberg? Can they get the cooperation they so, so seem to need in order to pursue a broader fraud case? Do you think he's the reason that the case is where it is now and we're focused on hush money payments instead of fraud at the larger Trump organization? I think that fraud trial would have been extremely hard to bring mm-hmm. without an insider testifying about the former president's involvement and his state of mind. And so I do think the disagreement, and of course this is speculation, but I think the disagreement had to, between those lawyers who left the office and Alvin Bragg had to be around the strength of the case and the ability of the office to prove intent without a cooperating witness. So I do think it could seriously change the calculation if they had Weisselberg on their side building that case. And I think this case is a simpler, more straightforward case. And that's why they're bringing it. I'm interested in your assessment that this is a strimple. A strimple. It's not a strimple. It's simple <laughs> and straightforward because there's a lot of hand-wringing in certain legal circles about just how clean-cut this is, right? You have to, in order to make it a felony, it just can't, it can't be one crime. It needs to effectively be two, right? That it's, 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 it's cooking the books for putting in layman's terms and then with the intent to commit another crime. Is that fairly accurate? Right. And, you know, I will say I said simpler and more straightforward. (laughs) I didn't say simple, but I, you know, I actually, from the perspective of somebody who has tried cases involving these particular statutes and has charged cases involving these particular statutes, there is always that difficulty. But it doesn't seem like an insurmountable difficulty as opposed to proving intent in a case in which the 
industry practice in real estate is to play around with valuations. It makes it so, so hard and it makes it much more suited to a civil case. Now, that is unless you have somebody on the inside saying, you know, here's the smoking gun. And 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 there's no way they had that. And so, you know, I really do think it could change. Alvin Bragg has consistently said we have that case still open. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if this fact, in fact, if this new information about Weisselberg and his potential criminal exposure is enough to change his mind about what he wants to talk about, then I think that case could very much be a lot. I do wonder, um, Suzanne Craig, whether, Mm -hmm. you know, when we talk about the specifics of this case and what may have been covered up, a lot of people think that the case that the DA is, is, is building is around the sort of not keeping the right books on the hush money payment with the intent to commit campaign finance violations. The New York Times floats this interesting, your paper (laughs) floats this interesting, you know, something to think about. And I'll read (laughs) an excerpt. The public understanding of the theory of the case being assembled by Alvin Bragg, and in particular, what underlying crime he may point to in order to transform a New York law against bookkeeping fraud into a felony, that remains imprecise. It remains possible that Bragg has obtained non-public evidence of some other intended offense, like if there was any in- initial intention to deduct the payments as a business expense on state tax returns. Now, without right. getting too wonky about this. No, no, I've thought about this for a long time because why are you creating a false business record? To what end is it? It's usually going to be a tax deduction. And so did they find out that the payments turned into a tax deduction that allowed him, you know, it was a they filed false filing to the, to the tax man and allowed him to reduce you know, his, his tax burden. Right. Which is something they did a lot at the trial. That's what we saw. That's we saw this movie at the trial. <laughs> yes. Right. At the, at the recent Trump organization trial. And so did that happen? You have to wonder why they would create a false business record. You know, Michael Cohen, we don't see the New York Times has his taxes, has has the Donald Trump and the Trump organization's taxes, we don't see 1099 payments, which is how a legal fee would be accounted for. We don't see them going to him. So there's no direct line where they filed this to the tax man, but there could be a lot of other ways to do it. You know, Rudy Giuliani made a cryptic remark that it was somehow put into legal fees somewhere. Mm -hmm. I mean, but it it could be an office party for all we know. Like, we just don't know, but Alvin Bragg may know, which is what may come out. There's just a lot we don't know right now that we're going to learn if an indictment goes forward. But this is one of the things that's sort of been an open Yeah, because the campaign finance violation, the way that the case is built, if that's the way, it bears remarkable similarity to the case that was brought against John Edwards yeah. in 2010, I think it was, over hushed money payments regarding an affair, an extramarital affair he had. I'll read an excerpt from The Washington Post. Some lawyers have questioned whether it would be wise to charge Trump with a crime stemming from the payments, given particularly given the outcome of a past case against Edwards, the presidential candidate who beat criminal charges that hush money used to hide an extramarital affair amounted to an illegal campaign contribution. By the way, those payments were made by donors and they totaled, I think, a million dollars. On its face, that seemed like, uh, I'm a layman. I play a lawyer on TV, but I don't have any legal education, quite obviously. And it seems like that, if that failed in court, if, if Edwards got off for that, 
Isn't that a tighter case than the one that Bragg might be building if, in fact, it is about campaign finance violations? Well, I, again, we don't know the details, and I'm not exactly sure whether it would be a tighter case simply because it's more money and it was coming from external sources. That doesn't necessarily make it a stronger case. But I do think, you know, there are some problems about building that case, and it, there are some difficulties. And certainly it would be much more straightforward if there were tax implications here, and that could be the secondary crime. And that is all often charged with the falsification of business records to bump it up from that misdemeanor to a felony that because, as Suzanne was saying, why do people create false business records? Most cases. To lie on their taxes. It is. For, yeah. Taxes. So, I mean, it would be a more straightforward, more more clear case for the jury. And it wouldn't run into the complications of, you know, does it have to be federal law, state law and that you know, and that sort of legal complication. So maybe that, I mean, we'll, we will obviously find out about that. I mean, I, I do yeah. want to talk about Letitia James' investigation because it's massive. I mean, 250, just, just talk, if you will, about, I mean, the hush money payment thing comes with its own peril because there's the potential perp walk. There's the, just the historical, the criminality. the criminality, right? The history of it all. But, but what, I mean, what, what do you see as the most threatening part of the Tish James investigation in terms of the penalties if, if, if he's found guilty in the criminal well, civil case? That's a big money number, $250 million yeah. for somebody who most of his businesses habitually lose money year in and year out. That's a huge amount of money. Um, but she's also going after, she wants, them, you know, and there's, there's technical terms on this. I just say she wants them run out of New York. And, and that's what she's sort of seeking. She wants to just limit, you know, the loans that they could make, how they could do business in New York. There's just a list of things that she wants to make sure that they're never officers of companies and so on. It would be, you know, it would be devastating to them. And, and it's and it looks like it's marching forward in October. They didn't get the delay today. Yeah, it was written in uh, yeah. stone that date in October, right, according to the right. judge. Yeah. Um, how is Trump's business? How's how's his how are his businesses these days? They, for the most part, continue to lose money. I mean, they're, he's, he's putting in money to prop a lot of them up, um, and that's not a new story. That's been going on for decades, yeah. and it continues to go on. I mean, these are very expensive properties that he owns that uh, that he's having to prop them up. There's a few that make money, and he gets in money from one or two ventures, but most of them lose money. Some would say that's being a bad businessman. Suzanne Craig, <laughs> Rebecca Royfe, thank you so much for joining me tonight. Really appreciate your time and thoughts. Still to come this evening as we await the potential arrest of a former president. It is weird to say that in a tease. Trump is rallying his base with racist and anti-Semitic dog whistles. Does that sound familiar? Plus, how a story about Trump, a porn star, and Shark Week may end up making history. It is a story so trashy it could only have come from the tabloids. That is next. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. You can live out your MasterChef dream when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. 
Did you know that the tabloid, the National Enquirer, ran op-eds? I did not. But back in August of 2015, the National Enquirer was the paper where candidate Donald Trump laid out his vision for the White House. His op-ed ran between a story about country singer Reba McIntyre's divorce and a column called Hollywood Hookups about which stars were smooching. In case you were wondering... Nick Jonas recovered quickly from his June split with Olivia Culpo and is now experiencing a new reality, dating Kendall Jenner. A lot has changed since then. Nick Jonas is now married to Sophie Turner. Oh, no, Priyanka Chopra. <laughs> That's Joe Jonas. And Donald Trump went from a reality star placing op-eds in the National Enquirer to becoming the actual president of the United States. And we now know that Trump's relationship with the National Enquirer was more sinister than, than just sort of ridiculous. That same month as that op-ed, August of 2015, Trump had a meeting with the publisher of the Enquirer, David Pecker, in which the New York Times reports that Pecker promised to publish positive stories about Trump and negative stories about his opponents, which helps explain cover stories like Hillary, six months to live, and Hillary going to jail. Those stories ran in the months after that meeting. But most importantly, at that August 2015 meeting, the publisher of The Inquirer agreed to work with Trump's personal lawyer, Michael Cohen, to suppress stories that could damage Trump, which was a practice known as catch and kill. As we are all currently awaiting the likely first indictment of a former president, the first in U.S. history, it is worth taking a step back and remembering how absolutely tawdry this story appears to be. The adult film actress Stormy Daniels was half Donald Trump's age when she says they met in 2006 at a celebrity golf tournament in Lake Tahoe. Trump's wife, Melania, had just given birth to the couple's son a few months earlier, so she had stayed home and Trump was solo. Daniels claims that Trump invited her, who he only knew as a porn star he had just met, he invited her up to his hotel penthouse, where he reportedly greeted her in black silk pajamas. That's what Trump was wearing. Then she claims he promised her that he could get her on his reality TV show, The Apprentice. And then they slept together. After that, Trump reportedly called Daniels occasionally from a blocked number, referring to her as Honey Bunch when he did. She says they met up two more times, once at the launch party for Trump Vodka and another time at the Beverly Hills Hotel, where Daniels claims Trump again invited her to up to his room. But when she got there, they just watched Shark Week on TV. Now, this whole story has always been juicy, but originally it was just tabloids juicy, not New York Times juicy. The first time Stormy Daniels tried to sell the story was in 2011. She was upset that Trump's promise to get her on The Apprentice never came to fruition. And Trump has just floated the idea that he might run for president. At the time, this was so absurd that it was literally a punchline. Donald Trump has been saying that he will run for president as a Republican, which is surprising since I just assumed he was running as a joke. He is not laughing there. But by the time Trump was the actual nominee for president in 2016, he was no longer just a punchline. And after the Access Hollywood tape came out, a story like Stormy Daniels' account of black silk PJs in the penthouse, well, suddenly that became supercharged with the potential to do real political damage. So the plan Trump hatched with the publisher of the National Enquirer in August of 2015, that plan went into action. Trump's lawyer, Michael Cohen, bought the story. He caught it and he killed it. And Trump allegedly paid Cohen back for that to the tune of $130,000. 
You could argue that we would not be where we are right now, awaiting the possible criminal indictment of Donald Trump, had it not been for the dogged reporting of two journalists at The Wall Street Journal. Michael Rothfeld and Joe Palazzolo were the first reporters to break the story of Michael Cohen arranging the $130,000 hush money payment to Stormy Daniels in 20, 2018. Rothfeld and Palazzolo led a team at the Journal that worked on several more scoops on the payments to Daniels and Karen McDougal, a former Playboy model who alleged she also had an affair with Donald Trump. They earned a Pulitzer Prize in 2019 for that reporting. They also co-wrote The Fixers, the bottom feeders, crooked lawyers, gossip mongers, and porn stars who created the 45th president. Joining us now is one of those journalists, Michael Rothfeld, who is now an investigative reporter for The New York Times. Michael, thank you so much for joining me and thank for chronicling the insanity of this moment in such a compelling way. Um, yeah. I would love to know you know, as we look at the sort of the, the magnitude of what may be uh, on deck ahead of us, whether this really all begins with a porn star who is angry about not getting a cameo on The Apprentice. Can you take me back to what was happening and, and sort of how this dynamic was established between this combative dynamic that eventually, you know, works its way over to the National Enquirer between Stormy Daniels and Donald Trump? Sure. And yes, I think it does. Stormy Daniels is a porn star, was a porn star, but she was also an ambitious woman. She had aspirations. She went, she wasn't just acting in porn films. She was also directing them and she appeared in mainstream movies, had cameos. So when Donald Trump invites her, they just meet by chance at the, and there's a picture of them at this golf tournament and he invites her to, to his room and, um, she sleeps with him, but this this promise to put her on The Apprentice is meaningful to her. It's it's sort of she sees it as as an opportunity. And then when he, you know, she said she doubted that he would actually do it, but he said, yes, I can absolutely do it. And, and then he didn't. And you know, she felt taken advantage of, and she wanted to get something out of it, you know, to sort of make up for the fact that she slept with him and and she felt a little bit duped. So. They, they, what, what surprised me, I think a lot of people don't realize that there were, there were communications beyond that night in the hotel room. There, first of all, Shark Week at the Beverly Hills Hotel. Mm -hmm. There are the phone calls that um, Trump is placing to Stormy Daniels. And then she eventually is the one that starts screening the calls and not taking them. That's Can right. you talk more? Is that, was that evidence of her frustration with him or was that, I mean, evidence of his the fact that he was taken with her. I mean, how do you read that strange dynamic? Yeah, I think he 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 liked her. Yeah, he also gave her tickets to a beauty pageant uh, that she attended. Uh, he didn't. He was there, but they didn't speak. He invited her to a Trump vodka party launch, which Karen McDougal also happened to be at. Karen McDougal was also at this golf tournament, so he was maintaining these various relationships, uh, according to these women's stories, which he denies. Yeah. Um, but um, she, uh, yeah, they did have, and sh uh, but she, they kept talking about The Apprentice, and eventually he did tell her that you know he wasn't going to get her on, and I believe there was a, another porn actress who I may have been on The Apprentice, and that I think you would her... have to ask someone who ever watched The Apprentice. Yeah. Unfortunately, I'm yeah. not in that vast, vast number of people. But um, the promises, as Trump, Trump is one to make promises, regardless of whether he actually keeps them. Um, the story really ratchets up in terms of the potential illegality once Michael Cohen enters the picture. And he, of course, is potentially the star witness in the DA's investigation as we sit right now. I would love to know about, you know, how you see his um, 
reliability as a narrator. Bob Costello, who is representing Trump land and all of this, came out yesterday in a pretty public way and impugned Michael Cohen's credibility. He was actually holding. Do we have the picture? He was holding a copy of your book as evidence. First of all, insanely good book promotion, but as evidence of the fact that Michael Cohen couldn't be trusted. I mean, what do you make of Michael Cohen as a, a key witness in all of this? I, I think he's he is a problematic witness because, I mean, he he has lied and, you know, he he lied to Congress about uh, a Trump hotel in Moscow that he was trying to build. And he pleaded guilty to that. Um, he committed these crimes and admitted to them, although he's sort of recanted on some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so he hasn't been 100 percent truthful. And that's something that Trump's lawyers are going to be able to, uh, you know, assuming he is indicted. And if there ever comes a trial, they will absolutely be able to attack Michael Cohen's credibility and, and have concrete examples. Does that mean that he's not telling the truth now? Mm-hmm. No, it doesn't it doesn't mean that there's a lot of supporting evidence. You know, there's the I mean, there's there's the picture of them together. There's the fact that he did all those these things on Trump's behalf. So there 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 is some corroborating behavior, you know, that that could show Michael Cohen to be telling the truth. And Bob Costello also, you know, he is a Giuliani pal. So he's he's basically he's, Trump's surrogate in yes. the situation. So, you know, I wouldn't take him at face value either. Um, I got to ask you, uh, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy today suggested that Trump wasn't trying to hide his payments to Stormy Daniels. From your reporting, we know that Michael Cohen, first of all, took out a home equity line of credit. He transferred money from that line of credit into a Delaware shell company that he created and that was then wired to Stormy Daniels lawyer and then wired to Stormy Daniels. Is that right? Yes. That seems more like someone who is trying to hide something, right? That's ridiculous to say that he wasn't trying to hide the payment to Stormy Daniels. Was it difficult to track down those payments as you were doing the reporting? Yeah. It, 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 well, I mean, we we had gotten information about the uh, I mean, we didn't get records of the actual payments at the time, but we had multiple sources about, you know, about what happened. And, you know, we we pieced it together. We found the shell company um, and, you know, we were able to report that uh, Michael Cohen had paid her the hundred and thirty thousand. And, yeah, it was it was painstaking reporting, but we felt very confident and it was borne out. Maybe Kevin McCarthy should read a copy of your book. Yeah, I, I'll send him one. <laughs> Michael Rothfeld. You won a Pulitzer Prize for it, and that's why, because you did the work. Really, really appreciate you having uh, having having on the show tonight. Thanks for the time. Still ahead this evening, Trump is back to the old playbook, calling the black man who may be prosecuting him a racist. We are going to unpack all of that coming up next. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. You can live out your MasterChef dream. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. If these radical, vicious, racist prosecutors do anything wrong or illegal, I hope we are going to have in this country the biggest protest we have ever had in Washington, D.C., in New York, 
in Atlanta and elsewhere because our country and our elections are corrupt. In reality, they're not after me, they're after you. And I just happen to be the person that's in the way. That's what they're after. It's been going on for years. In January 2022, judges in Fulton County, Georgia, that's where Atlanta is, they granted District Attorney Fonnie Willis permission to impanel a special grand jury to investigate former President Donald Trump's efforts to overturn the state's 2020 election results. And so Trump singled her out. He singled out prosecutors in New York and D.C. as well, repeatedly calling them vicious and racist. Although he did not name them, he seemed, in that rally, to refer to Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg, New York Attorney General Letitia James, and former Washington, D.C. Attorney General Carl Racine, in addition to Fonnie Willis. Now, there are two things those folks all have in common. They are all prosecutors who were investigating Trump, and all of them are black. The remarks Trump made during that rally prompted Fulton County DA Willis to request additional security from the FBI's Atlanta office. And that was not the last time Trump leveled similar accusations against those same prosecutors. In September, when New York AG James filed a lawsuit against Trump, his business and his adult children for financial fraud, Trump lashed out at her once again. He called her lawsuit another witch hunt by a racist attorney general. And he nicknamed her Attorney General Letitia Peekaboo James, a term that many pointed out sounds similar to a derogatory term used against black people. Earlier this month, Trump referred to Willis as the racist district attorney in Atlanta. There is a clear pattern here. When an investigation into his alleged crimes is advancing and he feels his back is against the wall, Trump calls the black government lawyer in charge of the investigation a racist. He says they are out to get him. He says it will not stop there. Those black government prosecutors are going to come for you, too. So do something. That is the Trump play. And it is one we saw him run this weekend. He announced in an all-caps diatribe that he expected to be arrested in New York today as part of Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg's investigation into hush money payments. Trump told his supporters they should protest, take our nation back. And he wrote, we just can't allow this anymore. They're killing our nation as we sit back and watch. Trump followed that up by calling Bragg a Soros racist in reverse. In case his definitions of we and they and Soros racist are not clear enough, Trump released this video yesterday. George Soros funded Democrat Alvin Bragg is known as the worst DA in the country. His soft on crime policies have unleashed violent criminals on innocent citizens and turned New York City into a hellscape of crime, drugs, and chaos. I'm the only thing standing between the American dream and total anarchy, madness, and chaos. And that's what it is. I'm representing you. I'm just here. Always remember, they are coming after me because I am fighting for you. That's what's happening. It is hard to say with certainty what being a Soros-funded racist means in Donald Trump's head. But there are some on the far right who might see this as Trump signaling that the Jewish billionaire philanthropist boogeyman George Soros is somehow out to get them. Whether or not that's what Trump means to say, the danger here lies in how it is being interpreted by his followers. That is the thing to watch. One right-wing broadcaster took Trump's remarks about who is racist and who is a criminal. He took it a step farther yesterday. The criminals in this country 
If you want them held accountable, the criminals are Barack Obama, Eric Holder, Susan Rice, military. Join us and put all of them up against the concrete wall, just like Ceausescu, and do what we must do to save not just our country, the entire world. That is where we are right now. A right-wing media personality calling for the execution of black politicians because Trump might be indicted for alleged crimes. We recently learned that on Saturday, Trump will hold his first rally since announcing his impending indictment in Waco, Texas. It will be the 30th anniversary of the armed standoff between federal agents and followers of cult leader David Koresh. For people on the far right, Waco has become a symbol of anti-government, pro-white Christian nationalist sentiment. And again, it is hard to know if Trump knows that, if he's going there because of that or not. But for some of his followers, this decision to hold this rally there will mean something. And they will be listening to everything he says. When we come back, we will examine what exactly it might take to pry the Republican Party out of Trump's hands. That is next. The tough part is with, with a local DA playing in presidential politics. If that starts right there, don't you think it'll happen across the country? It's obvious that this is a sham. What happened? President Trump announces he's running for re-election and shazam, and oh, now we're going to pursue it. I think it's disgusting. I think it's terrible for our country. It's bad for America generally. This, I believe, is the epitomization of the weaponization of the federal government uh, and departments against uh, political opponents. Yeah, it's going to blow up our country, and this is a bunch of BS. As Donald Trump faces a potentially historic indictment, Republicans are rallying to his defense. The theory among those Republicans seems to be that this indictment will help Trump shore up his base in the Republican presidential primary. But heading into this tumultuous moment, most Republican voters were already expressing some reservations about Trump as a candidate. An NBC News poll from earlier this year found that only 33 percent of Republican primary voters say they support Trump more than they support the Republican Party. 62 percent say they support the party over Donald Trump. So are Republicans making a mistake when they assume that defending Trump is their only option? Joining us now is Stuart Stevens, former chief strategist for the Mitt Romney for President campaign in 2012. He is now with the Lincoln Project and is also the author of It Was All a Lie, How the Republican Party Became Donald Trump. Stuart Stevens, thank you for joining the program. I just, given the title of the book... <laughs> I wonder where you think the party stands in this moment. I mean, certainly there are, you know, some 33 percent of the GOP are Trump diehards. But what about that 62 percent that are going to witness the unfolding of potentially a historic criminal indictment? I mean, where do you think this leaves them in their support for Donald Trump? You know, I think that poll is a little misleading because the Republican Party has become Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it's not really much of a choice. There's no anti-Trump movement of any size in the Republican Party. What happens if you oppose Trump? You're, you're Liz Cheney. They throw a Cheney out of the party. So it's an easy thing to say, well, I don't support Donald Trump. You know, I support the party more than Donald Trump when you're really saying the same thing. Look, I, this is where the Republican Party has ended up. It began when they accepted Donald Trump. When Donald Trump went out and called for a Muslim ban in December of 2015, 
everyone knew in the party that if the party stood for anything, it was the Constitution. This was a religious test. They knew this, but they didn't stand up to Trump. And, you know, there was this thing that the Republican Party used to say when I worked in it, the character counts. And that was right. And this is now all unfolding. And it's just beginning. After all, the majority of the Republican Party does not believe that Joe Biden is a legally elected president. So play that out. What does it mean? It means they live in an occupied country. Mm. So that only not only gives them a reason to do whatever it takes, to some, it gives them an obligation. And I, I think this is, is just beginning. I think the Republican Party is shameful and not standing up for the rule of law, which is what this is. The reason there's a former president being indicted is because the Republican Party nominated and elected a criminal. It's no more complicated than that. What do you think, you know, one of the things that Trump has been saying in recent days is if they can get me, they can get you. Can you unpack that a little bit for me and, and why you think that is so resonant with the GOP in this particular moment? Well, it's all about uh, grievance. The organizing principle of the Republican Party now is fear. Think about it. It's fear of these hordes coming over the border. It's fear of the rapists and uh, the criminals coming from Mexico. It's fear that there are these large, powerful forces in the world out there that have control us. That we're, you know, when the party once believes, like when Ronald Reagan was president, if you were born in America, you had won life's lottery. There were inequalities in America, but nobody was disadvantaged because they were American. That's now been turned on its head. And Trump, to be born in America, means that you're a victim. You're a chump. There are these powerful forces out there. So once you become into this victim's mentality, that's what Trump is rallying. And really, it's it's all about race. It's always been about race. Um, when they tried to, all the votes that they said that they were illegal on January 6th, when 57% of the party voted not to certify the election. Where were they? Atlanta, Detroit, Philadelphia. Why were they suspect? Because they were predominantly African-American votes. So, you know, the country's headed to become a minority-majority party. There's nothing that the Republican Party can do to stop that. And what you're seeing here is playing out is this sort of attempt to stop uh, the inevitable. Yeah. And instead of doing what the party should have done, which is do the hard work to appeal to these non-white voters, um, they've gone the other way. It's pretty much officially a white grievance party now. Do you think there's any room for other Republicans to criticize Trump in this hour at all? I guess I'm, I'm looking at Governor Ron DeSantis, who was sort of with a wink and a nod, mentioned the phrases porn star and hush money as much as he could this week. Do you think he will be punished for that, even though it wasn't even an outright criticism of Trump, but just a nod to the absurdity and tawdriness of what's happening here? You know, I think the real test here is going to be, is Ron DeSantis going to say that Joe Biden won a free and fair election? I mean, that we're even talking about that is so extraordinary. Um, he hasn't said that. He said that Joe Biden, he accepts Joe Biden as president. So they have to stand up to Trump if they're really going to try to say that the party has to go in a different direction. But they won't do it. Mitch McConnell won't even say Donald Trump's name. 
And they're all saying that they will support Donald Trump if he's the nominee. Even after what happened on January 6th, even when we know that the Russians backed him. So what do you do with that? I, I don't see how that's any sort of definition of patriotism or putting the country first. It's putting the party first for power. Stuart Stevens, former Republican consultant with a dire prognosis for the GOP. Thank you for your time tonight, sir. Really appreciate it. Thank you. We'll be right back. We have some late-breaking news tonight related to the Manhattan DA's hush money investigation. CNN reports tonight that communications between Stormy Daniels and a lawyer currently defending Donald Trump, those communications are now in the hands of the Manhattan DA. Daniels' side says the exchanges between Daniels and current Trump lawyer Joe Tacopina date back to 2018 when Daniels approached Tacopina about representing her. These communications raise the possibility that Tacopina could be sidelined from now in turn defending Trump. Takapina denies that there is a conflict of interest and says he neither met with nor spoke with Daniels. Stay tuned. That is it for us tonight. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.